I'm Audrey Cooper, the editor-in-chief of the San Francisco Chronicle. Do you ever feel anxious about opening a laptop on BART? Or do you sit next to the windows if you want to use your cell phone? If you do, it turns out you're not just being paranoid. The Chronicle has uncovered new data that shows cell phone and laptop thefts are up way, way high on BART. Our investigative columnist Phil Matier is with me to discuss what he found and how you can protect your belongings. So, Phil... Welcome to the podcast. I was really surprised when I read your column that is published today on sfchronicle.com and in print. So why don't you tell everybody, what did you find about laptop thefts and cell phone thefts? That they're way up on BART, that there's about three a day, and that they're going on all over BART. Different various degrees. You know, it was interesting. As usual, there's a little bit of a story behind the story here. I mean, we've been writing about BART thefts for a while at the San Francisco Chronicle and other problems with BART and crime, uh, quality of life, crimes, assaults, uh, even murders. Murder, yeah. So it's not a new topic. And uh, uh, a couple of weeks back, uh, they got a new police chief. Uh, The acting chief became the police chief and they held the perfunctory press conference and they held it at Powell Street Station, which is just a block away from the Chronicle, one of the busiest stations on the BART system. I went over there just to, you know, say hello and listen. And so they brought the new chief on and he said his usual stuff. And the bar director stood next to him and nodded and everybody said, and he said, it's a new day and we're going to start a new patrol because there's been a rise in BART electronic thefts. And so we're all going to hop on a train with some of our new police patrols and we're going to take it from Powell Street out to Balboa Park, which is this station on the south side of San Francisco that you've rarely ever heard of or seen in print. And I was going... Why are they going to Balboa Park? And I said, why are they going to Balboa Park? And it said, well, there's been a surge in, in, in laptop robberies. And I said, really? And I walked off and let them go on with their little show and then came back and called them when I, once I got to the office and was by myself and called and said, hey, how about sending over the numbers on what, what kind of robbery is really going on? And it turns out that Balboa uh, Park Station, which is in the south side of San Francisco, a very quiet neighborhood type area, has the highest electronic iPhone, cell phone, laptop thefts in the entire system. They clocked in 118 this year. No, wait, that doesn't even make sense. It has to have one of the lowest population of BART riders. So how do those two things square? Well, actually, it has a pretty a pretty good crowd that goes through there. Now, I was sitting there, how how does it square? How, how is this working? And they said that, well, there's a couple of things. One is that the people out there, it, 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 the hot numbers travel from station to station. And they, they hit certain stations. People get aware. They move on to another one. So maybe it was just uh, Balboa's parks turn at the station, but also people out there tend to be commuters or students. And here's what happens with BART thefts. People are standing next to the doors when it's crowded. They have their cell phones out. A lot of people, I don't know, they do sell their cell phone with one hand. They both have the hold of the thing and flip through their messages with their thumbs. That's an incredibly vulnerable situation. Somebody sitting by the door with the laptop open, incredibly vulnerable. What happens is the thieves, and a lot of times they're juveniles, wait until the BART doors open up at some station. And when they open up, they time it actually to when they know they're going to close. And then they make their move. They grab the cell phone out of somebody's hands or the laptop. And they go dashing out the door. The door immediately closes. The stunned victim 
is standing there stunned and whisked off at 50 miles an hour in a SEAL train to either another part of the city or in the case of Balboa to another county. You cross the line into San Mateo County. So, and the thief is standing there on the uh, platform, just kind of, well, just moseying on. All the witnesses and everybody are gone. They get back on a train, they come back into San Francisco and they sell it for two, three to $400, depending on it. Okay. So I want to go back to one thing that you said that I think is really interesting. You said juveniles usually are committing these crimes. So talk to us more about like, why is that? It's a, an attractive crime. It's, this is, and also you got to be fast. <laughs> you gotta be fast. <laughs> not like us old people. I mean, you need somebody young who can grab you it. You gotta be able to grab it and dash. You gotta dash. So a lot of times it's it's juvenile offenders. It's a crime of opportunity. It's a crime of convenience. As a matter of fact, when I was talking with uh, San Francisco police about changes in criminal patterns, they said that cell phone thefts and car burglars have in part become the new norm for uh, juveniles and uh, juvenile uh, gangs, if you want to call that, or groups. And one of the reasons being is it takes no money to get in the business. If you're selling drugs or something, you got to have money to buy the drugs. Then you got to go someplace and sell them and you're a target while you're doing it. And you take the money. It's a complicated and dangerous effort. Breaking into a car or snatching a cell phone is quick, easy, no money down. You just make a profit if you get away with it. So how organized are these rings of juveniles and people who are doing that? Is it organized or is it just it's more random. It's, if it's organized, it, it appears to be maybe two or three people. So I'm saying that is is just uh, you know people hang out together. But no, I don't. We don't. We have we have the fencing operations, which you know as it moves up the chain and laptops and such as they make their way out of the country, that becomes more organized. That becomes much more. But it's pretty informal. But it was interesting to find out that the the two areas that are most affected are the core areas of BART, the commute lines where people are busy. And one of the reasons is that oddly enough, and I bore this out when I got on the train this morning, I talked to people that were using the proverbial one hand hold next to the door. And I said, why are you, do you feel at all that somebody's gonna, gonna grab this? And they go, no, because I'm surrounded by people. It's not gonna happen. It's a crowded time. And that's the time when a lot of this happens. Uh, it's interesting. The second biggest station to get hit where they have the most reports is the Oakland Coliseum. They think that's because it's a lot of events go on there and people are distracted there. And it goes down the line. But the San Francisco quarter is the, is the, is the toughest. If, there's, uh, if you want to go to a place that doesn't have any, you're going to have to get out to West Dublin or uh, possibly uh, Pittsburgh. You know, they didn't have any reported. Oh, well, that's good for good for the people in Dublin. Uh, I'm with Phil Mateer. We're talking about BART thefts of uh, uh, cell phones and laptops. We're going to be back and talk about what BART is doing about this right after this. I'm back with Phil Mateer. We're talking about cell phones, thefts, and laptops on BART. Bill, what is BART doing about this? Well, it's more like what they're trying to do about this. What they're doing is they're putting uh, new uh, patrols out to police patrols get to get on the trains, actually on the trains and on the platforms in these core areas where the thefts are occurring. But policing BART is a very strange animal. You have to picture it at, at its peak. It, it services, they think, uh, 200 plus thousand people. So take, picture a city of, of 200,000 plus, let's say 300,000 people stretched out over something like 121 miles with 47 different destinations in three counties that moves at 50 to 60 miles an hour. 
It's just not, it's, it's a very strange thing. You have parking lots, you have stations, and you have the trains that are moving. And so policing at BART has become, uh, it's very much a challenge. And not to mention also that the police are understaffed. Like a lot of agencies, they're not up to their hiring. They're having difficulty finding people. And in some cases in BART, you will have one police officer who is in charge of two stations that could be 15 miles apart out in the in the far counties. So the chances, they got to cover the parking lot, they got to cover the station, they got to cover the trains, they got to write reports, they got to do six other things. It's wide open. That's why you've seen a lot of the push in, in the last year to make it harder to get onto BART. That's the question. If it becomes more difficult to get onto BART, if you have to pay, if it's not, you can't have this incessant fare jumping, which is a, a continuing problem. That, that and some they figure that a lot of the cell phone people, it's a good chance that they've jumped the fare to get in. They want to put a, make it harder to get on BART because that's the better way to p- police it. But there was resistance among the BART board of directors until recently about doing that because they wanted BART to be friendly and open. And not to be this sort of police-like uh, uh, walk-in, but now it's changed, and now they're putting and they're going to put in harder gates and stuff like that to try to keep the trouble off in the first place. One of the other things that we've written about recently is this idea of an ambassador program, which would take essentially mm-hmm. civilians and have them—I don't know—in orange vests walking around yeah. trying to help people. Yeah. Is, is that a potential solution to this? I can't imagine a kid that sees an easy cell phone to grab is going to be, dis, you know, dis- deterred by a BART ambassador. Or no, I, I don't see I don't see that either. But I, what else? But I do see that that is part of the public relations move because BART has been suffering from a loss of ridership. And one of the reasons is the public's procession of public safety or lack of it. We had open drug use in the stations a a while back. They cleaned that up. But a lot of people just don't feel safe. So they've come up with the idea that if you have a police presence, that will make people feel safe. And whether it does or not makes things safer is debatable. But they, if they see it, then they feel it. And we even see that on the streets of San Francisco as well, where there's this call for more beat police. It's not as though the beat police are going to actually change the car break-ins or the behavior you see on the streets. But the fact that you see them makes people feel better about it. So you've got policing and politics both at work here. I think BART has also suffered over the last few years of a perception of their leaders not taking this seriously, too. I mean, we've been very hard on them about the fake cameras in the train stations and also saying, you know, we shouldn't report on crime because it makes people racist and just these insane things. Is the new chief, is is there, a, you got this data, so that seems like an improvement. Is there a change of attitude at BART's leadership level? Uh, yes. Yes, yes. You know, a couple of years back, you were absolutely right. Bart was was reluctant uh, to even admit that there were quality of life problems going on within the stations. They would say this is about transit and it's a reflection. The homeless you see on the trains, the behavior you see on the trains is a reflection of what you see on the streets. And and there's nothing we can do about that. And there was a reluctance to uh, uh, cite people for fair evasion. There was a reluctance to do anything that would, quote unquote, criminalize behavior unless it was violent. And even then, you know, it, it was iffy at times. You're right. There was, a, there was a tap down on it. What happened was it just got to be too much. The public just said no. And I think in part because of the Chronicle coverage. 
and the media coverage of it. It became, I don't care what you're saying, this is what the reality is. And it was that sort of persistence that is led to a change on some of the director's parts. They know that that's, and the public is telling them that's what we want. It's not just about, you know, reducing fares or making the system more equitable or having it being a sanctuary system. That's all very fine and you can run it on whatever power source you want, but I've got to feel safe on it. And and that that's a key change. So what can people do to feel safe to not have their cell phone taken besides don't don't use your phone and sit next to the doors. When I use my phone against the window, am I being am I doing being too paranoid? Does it matter? <laughs> no, but you should be conscious. I was talking with one uh, uh, woman at uh, out at uh, Balboa Park Station. Her name was McFarland. She was, and 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 uh, I said, you know, what do you do? How do you handle this? Because she was on her phone and she just smiled. She just put it in pocket. She said, I, I put it in my pocket. I just have it in my pocket. You know, I mean, this is life in in America today. And whether you're on BART or you're walking down the street or anywhere, if it's out or it's in your car, it could be gone. So I would say, if you were going to look at it. And Bart, you would say, if you're using it, be aware of what's going on around you. Don't get lost in it. And also, don't stand too close to the damn door. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, exactly. Have a couple of people between you and there so you're not the one. What was that that, that great scene? You know, the two campers are out in the woods and the bear comes and they start <laughs> running. He says, I hope I can outrun the bear. And he says, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you. Uh, that's <laughs> so. an excellent way to end this podcast. Thank you so much for getting this data. I think it's really important that we let people know about this and hold them accountable to some changes. Uh, so thank you, Phil Matier, for being with me. Thank you to Phil Matier for being with me today. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode. And thank you for listening. Fifth Emission is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. If you like this podcast, please consider becoming a financial supporter of the largest newsroom in Northern California. You can sign up for a San Francisco Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod. So thank you, Phil Matier, for being with me. You're welcome, Audrey. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I don't know what the out is. Usually in broadcast, no, no, when they say fine. thank you, it's, no, I'm just it's like... <laughs>